Some of the hardest problems in the world exist far above the planet. Our job, to launch the smartest solutions, to protect our satellites, clean up our clutter, to propel breakthroughs in propulsion, to learn more about our place in the universe, to outpace emerging threats. Every day, the Aerospace Corporation uses the latest technologies to ensure our nation's safety and leadership in space. Hi, and welcome to the Space Policy Show. We have a great episode for you today. We are talking about defending the space enterprise in the cyber domain. There's my co-host, Corbin Dallas. We've got Lori Gordon, Ryan Spielman, and John Felker to join us today. Before we get started, just a reminder, you can find us on Twitter at hashtag the Space Policy Show, and you can ask your questions on Vimeo under the video box. You can also find us at aerospace.org slash policy. Lori Gordon is a technology strategist in national and homeland security, cybersecurity, infrastructure risk, and resilience at the Aerospace Corporation. She's an advisor to ISO, ANSI, and NIST technical working groups and is a visiting fellow at the National Security Institute. She's also served on curriculum advisory boards in the areas of cybersecurity and infrastructure security, law and government, and resilient design. Ryan Spielman is the principal, excuse me, principal director for the cybersecurity subdivision at the Aerospace Corporation, where he's focused on security of space-based systems. The organization he leads is involved in many layers of space cybersecurity, from legacy system protection to requirements and program development to advanced research and development techniques. We also have John Felker, who is with DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. He's the assistant director leading the integrated operations division. IOD focuses on integrated operations across the agency, extending to the 10 regional CISA elements and in leading intelligence, operational planning, mission execution, with emphasis on risk mitigation and response efforts. I'm going to turn it over to Lori to start off the conversation. Thank you, Rebecca, and thanks everyone for joining us today to discuss some really important issues related to our topic defending the space enterprise in the cyber domain. It's great to be joined by a leader in our field, uh, John Felker with DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and my colleague and the head of cyber at aerospace, Ryan Spielman. So, so thank you both for being here today. Looking forward to the discussion. So the first one, just want to um, lay the broad landscape here, uh, sort of a, a general uh, question, and we'll start with John. How does securing the spacecraft enterprise differ from securing traditional IT systems? Well, I think the, they're relatively similar, um, but obviously um, there are uh, limitations based upon the distance that the spacecraft is eventually going to be in, in the air. Uh, and the amount of uh, the amount of room that you have on, on the spacecraft for hardware and, and things like that, but I think essentially the the underlying uh, security requirement is is the same. And so I think as you are building out a, a space program, uh, consideration for security has to be uh, within the mix as you're thinking about what do I need to do to get the mission done. Uh, security needs to be plugged into that all along the way. Ryan, yeah, I do you think, want to take that question? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think at a high level, the uh, concepts and the principles are are the same. You know, defense in depth, zero trust networks, um, 
you know, things like that. But when you look at, uh, you know, the ability to implement commercial technology, you can't just put commercial technology and, and cyber defense technology into the systems because all the hardware we're talking about is different. All the software is different. It's been custom built. Uh, all the networks are different. The, the networks look nothing like a commercial IT system. So I, th I think the key is to take the the concepts, uh, you know, that we've kind of, uh, you know, grown to appreciate and uh, even some of the technology that's been built up for commercial IT systems and figure out how to apply it to the to these systems and, and um, you know, and make sure, for, for example, um, in, in a, in a spacecraft enterprise, the, the although the networks are custom, they're also a lot more predictable. There's a lot less, um, you know, what looks like random activity. You don't have people surfing the web or checking their email and things like that. So uh, we can take advantage of the fact that the network activity should, should be a lot more predictable. Great. So Ryan kind of pulling that thought a little bit, um, you know, we see the commercialization of space um, and, you know, how do we secure there's a lot of different types of um, you know satellites going up now, including small sats, and and those prototype missions. How do they play into security, and do they need the same level of security uh, as other more traditional systems? Ryan, do you want to take that one first? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I think I think the the way that we're going to run the risk analysis um, and the risk framework is going to be the same. Um, I, I think that those systems. Uh, will have less cyber defenses on them because uh, they'll want to save costs in some area, and a lot of threats won't be uh, won't apply to them. Uh, but I think the mapping from threat to mitigation to requirement, and the way that we pick and choose which requirements make sense for for various missions, I think all of that logic and all that um, analysis is the same. I just think you're going to end up with uh, a different requirement base uh based on what the system is and what it you know what it what it's supposed to do and, and what uh threats are really applicable to it i think you make a really good point you know you start you start talking about the the engineering of that system from the from the beginning with both the people who are trying to solve the problems to get the mission done and the security group who's plugged into that mix so that you're making those trade-offs and knowing full well what you're going to what you're going to do and what you're not going to do and and like you said i think ryan you're you're absolutely right the the uh, the spread of of uh, of threat against the uh, a spacecraft is going to be uh, much different than it is against you and me sitting at our home computer and it's probably a more a more finite uh, group of threats that are uh, in play there as well So, so moving on to the next question. So, in terms of penetration testing, I know John, you're very familiar with this, uh, with home, you know, CISA Homeland Security doing this on the .gov network. But how do we run penetration tests on on a spacecraft? Is that same similar? Um, you know, should it include ground and space, or just ground? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I my, well, uh, without knowing uh, or being an expert in space by any means, but I would tell you from a from a security perspective, the way I would look at it is this, that, that yes, we should. We should be doing penetration testing on ground stations from the start of the development of the system. Uh, we should figure out how to do pen testing in the spacecraft when it's in the air, um, uh, given due consideration for uh, you know, the differences that exist, uh, and the, you know, the criticality of some, some uh, routines that uh, are executed by the spacecraft that you might not want to uh, mess with. 
um, we, we've been, you know, we've been thinking through how to do pen testing on industrial control systems for, you know, the last four or five years in, in CISA and in the NCAG. And we're very, very careful about that because the tolerances are so narrow and, and so forth that you, you, and you can't afford to, to break something while you're doing a pen test on a control system. And I, I suspect the same applies in the spacecraft because if you think about it, you, you've, you've shot something up, up into space. You, you just can't uh, send a repairman to go fix it, you, you, you know. So you got to be really careful about what you do. I, I do think you can do both, however. Yeah, and I, and I think that's right. And I think we have a lot to learn from uh, how these things are done in the in the ICS world. Um, you know, I think that the very simple answer to the question is, is very carefully. Um, but I do think it's important to do these things. I think we absolutely should be doing these things. Um, you know, I think we can, you know, it's not going to be like a, you know, a three-person pen test that comes in for a week and, and writes a report and gets out of there. It's going to be a much, there's going to be a lot more system engineering. Um, you know, all their actions should be scripted and we should understand what the possible consequences are. If you're talking about an in-flight system, um, you, um, the, um, you know, the ability for the system to recover needs to be understood. Uh, but but I think the most important thing is, you know, if, if we have the policy and the requirements to build these systems to begin with, uh, such that they will be pen tested, that, that that's the expectation from the, you know, the contractor when they start building these systems, and that's the expectation of the system engineers who are designing these things, then I think the systems will be built to be even more recoverable, which has a bunch of benefits, you know, besides just cybersecurity. Uh, so I think there's just a lot of really good reasons to do it, but I think also there's a lot of really good reasons to do it up front, to say we are going to do this up front. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, so it's sort of a similar question, but you know, maybe there are some differences. How do spacecraft operators play into cyber defense? You've named some some things, some specifics, but any any. I, I think they're. A bit I more? think they're no different than. I think they're no different than industrial control system operators. You know, Ryan made a really good point. You have to understand what the routines are. You have to understand what the mitigation steps are up front, and if something happens, you need to follow. Follow the script um, as best you can to to get to a point where you're mitigating that 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 risk. That's right, that's right. Yeah, the you know whether they like it or not, the the spacecraft operators are your frontline cyber defenders. Um, you know, and they need to be treated that way. They need to be told that that is their job going up going in. Um, you know, I think a lot of the pen tests, really, you know, maybe really should be red team tests, and you get a lot of benefit from doing that. Besides just checking to see if the spacecraft recovers the right way. You get a lot of these secondary benefits like being able to build up courses of action, being able to train your spacecraft operators to look for an anomaly and be able to rapidly classify that anomaly as a random failure or an actual cyber intrusion, in which case they have much different um, courses of action they need to take and uh, much different speeds at which they need to be taken. So how does all of this play into um, sort of a, a broader, like a defense in depth um, program, cybersecurity scheme um, for for space? Um, is this just what we're talking about? Just one part of it, or are there other layers that you might you know add into your your defense in depth cyber? Program yeah, approach? yeah, I, th I think I, I think there are layers. Just like this goes back to the, kind of the question about how this differs from IT systems. Um, it, it doesn't at the high level concept like we're talking about. You, you have to have onboard mitigation techniques. You have to have network monitoring and command monitoring on the ground to understand what, what you're sending, why you're sending it. 
Uh, you need to do traffic analysis to make sure that if there is a, you know, even if you're talking about a, a cyber intrusion at the reconnaissance phase, you, you should be able to detect the stuff uh, because we need to take advantage of the fact that our network traffic is so much more predictable than they are in, um, you know, more like IT systems. And I think we can learn a lot from the way things are done in the ICS world. Um, so, so moving on to sort of uh, the difference between legacy systems, sort of what we're, we've seen there you know, over the years and how we're approaching security for those. But how about, um, does that differ from when we're thinking about new, more modern solutions, you know, um, you know, since we're seeing newer threats and how do those old legacy systems, how are we sort of reconciling the newer emerging threats that we're seeing every day? Is there a difference in approach from legacy to newer systems? I think the overall approach is, is very similar. I think the, the things that are that come into play are obviously, you know, what what software language did this program be was written in? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, some of the some of the spacecraft that's up there now probably has COBOL and Fortran language and there's very few people who can, can still write and read and understand that, let alone figure out a way to break into it and, and yeah. do it in a spacecraft that's, that's orbiting around the Earth. It might be um, more robust. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I think that's one consideration. And, and just like anything else, you know, we, as, as things get more complex, um, as there are more and more lines of code in, in a particular application to, to, uh, to do the things that we need it to do, then we've introduced the, you know, greater tax surface. And so I think that has to be a consideration as well. So by definition, you kind of look at it a little bit differently, although it's the same. It's just a, it's just a question of, of magnitude. Yeah, I, I think that's all, that's all right. And I, and I don't think we should take the approach that just because a system was built before kind of modern um, cyber threats were envisioned and, and, and seen, that we can't do anything. I think that's absolutely the wrong the wrong approach. There's a bunch of things we can do. You know, we, we mentioned earlier that um, you know we have we have a couple of advantages. One is uh, you know a space control network, for example, has a lot less computers. They have a lot more predictable traffic. And so, just doing simple things like uh, traffic monitoring with uh, rules based and AI based techniques uh, can go a long way to uh, detecting a, a, an attack when it's at the very, very early stages. We, we, we need to be taking advantage of that. We, we absolutely need to be understand, we need to understand what, what traffic is uh, traversing our networks and why, and uh, have we ever seen something like this before? Is it different? Is, and then rapidly classify, is this an anomaly? Is this a, um, you know, a, a once in a while event like a spacecraft maneuver, or is this a cyber intrusion? And I think those things are fairly easy to classify. Yeah, I agree. Ryan, just pulling the thread on the, the AI piece, how, how, do, how are we using AI to aid in securing these systems? Like, is there some, some examples or just sort of a... Yeah, ab absolutely. Broad? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of research going on in that, in that field. And, uh, you know, AI, um, it, it, isn't, it doesn't solve all the world's problems. Um, maybe it will one day, I don't know. But um, I, I think it, it's really, really good at detecting things that are different from what it's seen in the past. And if you have a, if you have a system uh, and we generally do that have very predictable uh, network traffic. AI is a fantastic tool to use to, to say to flag things. And say, hey, this is different. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Um, you know, we, we could be doing a maintenance maneuver. We could be doing a, you know some sort of spacecraft maneuver. Uh, so you're not necessarily saying I'm going to you know take an action and shut the entire system down. You're just saying, hey, are you know this is different than I've ever seen. Are you sure this is what you want to you want to be doing? And I think there's 
um, there's, there's a lot of things that we, we are and can be doing there. So John, in addition to technology, what are some other levers um, of change that we, we should focus on? Standards, policies, incentives? What do you see just sort of writ large in terms you know, of cybersecurity and what you're working on at CISA? Well, you know, I think one of our biggest challenges is workforce. Um, how do we how do we get the workforce that we need to be able to do the things that that we want to do um, in in the cyber environment? Um, and and uh, you know, there's there are a number of different people that have talked about um, the workforce shortage across the nation in in, in cybersecurity. So, so I think we need to be thinking about the workforce differently than we have been thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's, there's one school of thought that says we need to develop cyber workforce and they need to go through, a, a, you know, have good solid STEM K through 12 education. They need to go to a college or university and, and get a degree in computer science or, um, or some other discipline related to, to computers. And, and then we can begin to put them to work, uh, gaining experience and getting better at, at doing the things we, we need them to do. But, but there's a whole different school of thought that says, yeah, that's good. But there might be some other ways, mm -hmm. uh, non-traditional ways to get workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and and we've, we've had some good success recruiting in uh, community colleges, two-year schools uh, that have a focus on hands-on uh, cyber skills, uh, and you get people in the workforce much more quickly. Certainly, that 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 needs the the basic developments of of the STEM education that we've been talking about. Uh, but but you can go directly from a community college, or in some cases, no college at all, but a military uh, background where you've had training in in uh, uh, computer um, techniques and so forth. Uh, and, and we can put them to work right away. Um, the other part of the debate is certifications. Uh, are certifications useful? Certainly. Uh, but are they the be-all and end-all? Just like is a bachelor's degree in computer science is the be-all and end-all? No. I think we, we need to look at different ways to bring people with, with the aptitude into the equation and, and start them on a, on a career path if that's what they choose. Uh, I'll, I'll raise a, a, uh, an example. Um, the Sands Institute did a study a couple of years ago out, out in the Middle East where they, they trialed some boot camp methodology and so forth, and, and it was fairly successful. And, and so they brought it back to the UK and they put it in place in the UK because UK had at the, at the time had a pretty significant unemployment issue. And the, the process revolved around a, an aptitude test. Uh, and then from that aptitude test, which involved both both you know, the, the traditional learning, answering questions, and also involved a little bit of hands-on keyboard, but not much. Uh, they, they determined that certain people had better aptitude and, and not. The, the, the fellow who scored the highest in the aptitude and went on to succeed in the boot camp process and, and got a job, started as a bartender with zero cyber experience. So it, it doesn't have to be the traditional way. We need to look at more broader ways to bring our to bring folks into into the workforce that are interested in doing it, and we're starting to see some of that too. Ryan, how do you see it for the space yeah. force? Yeah, and I I think that's a great point to you know to kind of fall into what John said. Um, 
you know, we can say, okay, here's the here's the right education we want for every one of our you know our space our spacecraft cyber operators, uh, but that's going to take a really long time. Uh, I, I think the easier thing to do is to say, yeah, we have all these people that know how to operate a spacecraft. They know what what um, to look for. They know what's different and they know what's what an anomaly is. Uh, they can be trained on courses of action. They can be trained on um, you know what traffic should be flowing over the network. They can be trained on um, you know what what are these tools telling you and um, how to take appropriate action uh, for that. And I think um, I think that's a much more practical, much more uh, uh, rapid uh, way to get to get us where we need to be with with personnel. And here's the last thing along those along those lines. I think we absolutely have to um, not get locked into um, either in a, you know in a job requisition or a position announcement. You must have these things. We've we've got to find a way to better test people who apply. You know, uh, we 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 hire people all the time in CISA uh, for for cyber roles, uh, and we get a stack of resumes that have been qualified by uh, OPM and the the human capital organizations, and 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 generally they they meet the mail based upon the the job advertisement. But if I have a stack of a thousand resumes to go through and I, I'm hiring for four positions, that that's a significant load on on the hiring manager and the group of people who, by definition, are a part of the equation when it comes to actually delivering mission. So how do we get that? Uh, how do we get that number down to manageable levels? Oh, and, and by the way, manageable levels in which the people who remain uh, have demonstrated some skills. So, so what we've started doing in CISA is we, we've had a pilot for the last year or so to, to actually give people a test. So if you make that list of a thousand uh, on your resume, that's good. We send you a link and the link says, take this test. Uh, prove it to me. Prove to me what your resume says. Uh, and and they, they go through the test and then we, 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 it's scored automatically. They know their score right away. It's, it's, uh, it's very objective. Uh, and then uh, it, it, we we work the number down, and there's a, there's a, a two or three step process that we can go through where you actually prove some of the skills that you have, and that's regardless of what your college education is, or what your degree says, or what your certificates say. It make it it shows that you can actually do the work, and I think we need to get more more balance in doing actually the work and certificates and, and, and degrees and so forth. And it's got to be balanced. Mm -hmm. From your perspectives on, on NIST or sort of the cybersecurity framework, the risk management framework, uh, do you think that that translates across all sectors? Do you think it's, um, you know, enough for space? Um, or are there some gaps there that we need to pull the thread on um, or, or put sort of a light on to say, you know, we need to dig down and develop some um, additional standards around this particular area in space. I think they, I think they, they apply. Uh, the NIST mm -hmm. standards are great. The, mm -hmm. the twenty critical controls are great. But when you get into a very specialized environment, and Ryan can talk to this much better than I can, when you get into this special specialized environment of space, there by, by definition, there's going to be some some trade offs and some things that you're you're going to want to do and some things you're not going to want to do. Um, that'd be my suspicion. Ryan, you could probably address that better than I. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I think it, it's kind of like everything else. The, the concept, uh, how you manage risk, uh, the risk management framework, all that stuff applies. 
but I don't think we can kind of blindly slap some controls on a on a space mission. There's there's a lot of other things going on. Um, you know, for for example, um, spacecraft have uh, very complicated uh, fault management systems that have been built up over the years, and they've been tested and they've had actual faults and they have uh, recovered and, and most of the time correctly from those faults. Um, when you apply cybersecurity to a spacecraft, you can't just throw that out the window. You need to figure out how to combine that because you are operating in a harsh environment that will have random failures and the space systems need to recover appropriately from them because like, like John mentioned, you can't just send a repairman up there to, to fix it. Um, and, and so a, a properly designed, designed uh, cyber system for a spacecraft takes into account you know, all the heritage fault management system uh, uh, development. And that's that's similar, I think, to to you could use a really easily understandable example is the electric grid. It, we 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 can send a repairman out, but but the electric industry's got really good at not doing that because they've built up over a period of time those pro policies and procedures to to address the fault and address the fault remotely. So, so it's, it's not new thinking, really. It's just you have to think a little bit differently based upon, uh, in my view anyway, based upon the, the, the scope of the mission. Yeah, and it, it's interesting in terms of different sectors. Um, you know, space is sort of one of those sectors that we work so much with the international community, whether it's, you know, you know Japanese Space Agency, um, you know, uh, ESA and others, it's almost like, you know, we, how do we um, better define what those international standards are as well? So, mm -hmm. um, well, thank you both. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate the time. And um, thanks to everyone who uh, is listening. So thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Lori, Ryan, and John. We are so happy to have you on our show today. It was such an interesting episode talking about defending the space enterprise in the cyber domain. As always, find us on Twitter, hashtag the Space Policy Show. Go to aerospace.org slash policy or ask your questions in the video comments below. And until next time, take care. <laughs>